Welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast, where we connect with educators from across the globe who are creating a better future for learning and educating now by implementing bold ideas and fostering a sense of curiosity, creativity, and possibility. Welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast. I'm Michael Carson, and I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Faden. And today, our very special guest, hi, Josh, our very special guest is is Jen Lara. And Jen is a professor at uh, Anne Arundel Community College. She runs a coaching program uh, within the college and coaches many other organizations. And Jen is a I'll go ahead and just say pretty much a career-long educator. You've taught K-12 education, um, different parts of the country, different parts of the world with different people. You taught with the Navajo Nation. You taught in South America um, and and a number of outdoor education programs. So one of the things that I was so excited about uh, with bringing Jen on this podcast is just aside from her bubbling, lovely personality, which you'll hear in a moment, also just her wealth of experience that is diverse and deep in many different ways. So welcome, Jen. Wow, thanks. That's a beautiful introduction. I might have to just keep like listening to that just to boost myself up. (laughs) I'm just painting a picture with words of your life. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So Jen, what are you most excited about these days? What's, What's happening in your life and in your work? Well, I guess what I'm most excited about is just what's possible right now. Um, The world is changing because of the coronavirus. And um, I think we're realizing, especially in education and also in coaching, that there are so many new possibilities. I'm calling it the CCL, the COVID Creative License. Remember how we used to all have a creative license before, but now with COVID-19, it just feels like we're all able to step back and say what's possible now that we thought wasn't possible before um, and just kind of recreate or create from that spot. So that's what I'm excited about at the moment. Yeah, I love that. And what what have you found as possible even now? It's been a couple months. What, is, what has shifted or changed for you that you're excited about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Two things I think I think are possible is I am amazed by the humans on the planet right now and their ability mm-hmm. to be nimble so quickly. Um, we've been doing education, as you know, for, oh gosh, since the Industrial Revolution <laughs> and even before that in a very specific way. And then within a matter of 24 hours for some school districts or schools, they were able to turn that model on its head. So I'm amazed at the pace that we can iterate and innovate. Um, mm. And for that, I am grateful for a pandemic. I know there's not always silver linings, but that one is. And then the other piece is there are things, even in my own thinking, I was like, this is not possible. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, wait, maybe it is possible. And that's leveraging technology. It's a really just create new learning experiences for people and new training experiences that I thought wasn't possible using Mm -hmm. remote learning. And now I'm like, wait a minute, I think it is. So I'm just appreciating the nimbleness and the responsiveness. How are those experiences enriching the lives of your students or in different ways, right? Because obviously in person, it has one impact and virtual, it has similar but very different impacts. And so I'm curious what you're noticing in terms of just the the ways that it's impacting your students. 
and yourself. Yeah, you guys are, these are good questions. We're only like two minutes in. Um, you know what's interesting is I'm trying not to let my mind say this is good, this is bad, because the mind loves to play like polar opposites. That something can't be like a gift and a challenge like at the same time. Um, instead, the mind's like, this is good, this is bad. It, it almost has like two ledgers, you know, pros and cons. And instead, I'm really letting sort of the deep wisdom within me go, you know, there's gifts and challenges in everything in life. And, you know, I'm going to be like Brene Brown, like, what are the gifts of the imperfections and just going there? I would say what I'm trying to self-manage for myself and also for the students that I work with is not to say that this is better than that or this has, you know, more gifts, but to just be open to what the heck is possible right now, because we don't even know. We don't know the impact. So, for example, I just started a new course. As Michael um, described, I head up a, a coach training program that's ICF, which stands for International Coach Federation Accredited. And before the pandemic, it was like, we can only do this in person. But now we're like, oh, wait a minute, look at us. <laughs> Let's <laughs> leverage, you know, a, a video conferencing platform and let's make this possible and when we do that there's like new things that are possible and um, what I'm noticing the impact is that students are going wow I didn't think this was possible remotely um, and also their learning curve just like my teaching curve and my coaching curve are all like really steep right now we're all learning at the same time how to really leverage remote learning in a way that's meaningful and engaging and instead of saying it couldn't be um, I'm trying to like stop myself and say what's possible how can it be so that's the impact the impact is just I don't know the long-term impact but the short term it means just keep open-minded and just keep taming the voice that says this is impossible Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that voice have a name? Ooh, <laughs> look at you. Does that voice? That's a little coaching question in here. I know. That's so good. Yeah. It's funny. Um, most of the voices, because in our style of coaching that Michael and I are trained in, um, we do name those voices. The voice has like a phrase. It's like, we can't do that. <laughs> and so when it, you know, when we're pivoting from face-to-face -face coach training to online, the voice is like, we can't do that. And the rest of my voices are like, oh yeah, watch me. Um, and I feel like maybe that's what the two of you are after with amplifying optimism in education. It's there's this collective, probably global voice that when you think about education says, we can't do that. And what I think the two of you are saying is watch us and watch all these people, watch all the guests that you invite onto your show. All your guests I am imagining are saying, oh, that voice? Oh yeah, I hear that voice too, but look what we're doing instead. I just think it's yeah. so cool. It's so cool that we get to recognize the voice and then say, that voice doesn't control what we do next, we do. Right. Yeah, well, when you said that, Jen, when you said the voice is, we can't do that, I thought, I'm pretty sure every listener has that voice. And mm -hmm. to hear that maybe they're not alone in that. And to maybe, as a follow-up question, ask, um, you know, what are some ways that you are able to tame that voice? And I, and I asked that because I think that our listeners would probably appreciate some different ideas. You have so much experience with taming, you know, as we call them in coaching, saboteurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Michael, you were 
beautiful, you know, three questions or two questions ago when you said, what's that voice's name? I mean, one of the uh -huh. best ways to tame the voices is one, to recognize there is an inner voice that's not being helpful, right? There's some inner voices, we call those sages in this style of coaching, that are really helpful. They're the ones that say, we can do it. You got this. Be brave. Be courageous. Um, but And when you recognize the voices that are trying to maintain the status quo, trying to use fear as a way um, to kind of keep you in your place, just to recognize what is that voice? And then the question that you asked me, which was, what do you want to call that voice? Because that way I can start recognizing when I hear that voice. And by the way, that voice isn't just talking about education. It talks about everything. We can't do that. I mean, it talks about that, you know, when I used to go grocery shopping when the pandemic first happened, we can't go grocery shopping. It's like, well, I'm going to have to eat. So we're going to need to <laughs> We're going to need to figure this out. Um, and so I just think um, recognizing the voice, naming the voice, and then the third step always with those voices, those saboteur voices that hold us back, is to keep your eye and your ear on them. Because for most of us, including me, it's like an internalized voice that we don't always realize until we start shining a light on it. And just keep noticing, when does that voice come up? Um, actually, one other thought, sometimes that voice, many times, is really just trying to protect us from something. And I think mm -hmm. in this case, the voice that says, we can't do that, really is just trying to make sure that I don't fail, that I don't spend a lot of energy creating something mm -hmm. that may not work out. What that mm -hmm. voice doesn't know is if I forever run from creating something that may not work out, that's not really the life I want to live. Reminds me of like a toddler, like learning to walk, right? What if they heard that voice and was like, well, I just fell down. I'm never going to get back up. You know, we'd have a whole generation <laughs> of humans that crawl um, as adults. So it's not in our human nature to like internalize that voice and use it nonstop. But as adults, we tend to do that. So great question. Just recognize, shine a lot, shine a light, give it a name, and then keep keeping aware. Yeah, I think uh, Michael and I often talk about the fight, flight, or freeze mentality that we're kind of in. And I think you're, you're right in that where we are right now in the midst of a global pandemic, it's easy to freeze and to, to, to be in that fear state and to have those voices take over. And so I think you're right and that it's really important that by acknowledging it, by recognizing it, and I think really by taking that step back to, to, to notice where you are in the moment is also a really powerful thing. And so I think I'm curious, you, you talk about the creativity and about everything that you're doing right now. How, how frequently have you had to take a moment and how do you find those moments to step back and say, where am I now? How can I keep moving forward? Great question. Well, I'm a coach and in our style of coaching, we always suggest that coaches have coaches. So I probably get coached weekly or every other week um, by another coach. Um, because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, all you can hear are those like laden voices that have fear and, and just want to keep in the status quo. So I think in that way, having a coach is really invaluable. And then the other piece is I love the metaphor like a swing. Remember when we're kids or maybe even now, like you you're on a swing and you push your legs out and then you come back and you push out. Um, I use that metaphor a lot for me personally. And I just notice when I'm pushing out is usually when I'm being like highly creative, highly productive. I feel like all of who I am, my core values come alive. And then the back swing is usually when I need to retreat. 
And sometimes it is in the backswing that um, I have to take the most care of myself and be the most sort of quiet. Because when you're like on the swing of life and you're giving it all, if you don't really notice the backswing, that's where the meltdowns happen. That's where the saboteur takeovers happen. That's where your family doesn't want to be around you, nor do your friends. That's where, you know, depression lies. Um, and just sort of noticing, like, what do I need to do on the back of the swing to take care of myself? Because if I'm really trying to, like, live the life I want, if I'm really trying to have the impact in the world via coaching and education that I want, I'm going to be no good to anybody if I'm depleted. So the backswing to me is just noticing when, how do I take care of myself? I, I have to say, you know, probably eight years ago before I got into coaching, the backswing was like total meltdown, adult meltdown. And I wasn't taking care of myself. I was just, you know, just bitchy and mean and nasty. But now I'm like, oh, wait, you know, like I need to take care of myself. I need quiet time. I need outdoor time. I need sometimes family time or sometimes no family time, right? Like it's just about asking for what I need. Mm -hmm. I think of that question. Go ahead, Josh. Because that question, the what do I need part, I think is a really powerful question that impacts everybody and that we don't often ask. And especially now, I think our mindset is not so much the, the us and the me, but it's, it's, it's really trying to just cope and survive from moment to moment, day to day, without having that ability to really stop and ask that question. So I think that's such a valuable question. I just want to highlight that question because I think you know, not everybody might be able to have the the, the, the coach that they can check in with weekly, but they have themselves and they can check with themselves weekly or daily or moment by moment. I think that's crucial as well. Yeah, we call that scoaching, self-coaching. So <laughs> yeah. when you have a coach, it's beautiful and sometimes a luxury item. Um, and then other times you just do it for yourself. Like, how do I want to be on my backswing? You're right. You don't, you don't need a coach for that. You can self-reflect. Yeah. I, uh, Jen, you mentioned something in there um, that I was wanting to bring up at some point, which is core values. And, mm -hmm. and, and you're someone who I think serves as a role model, at least for me, when I'm thinking about core values, because I see in all of the ways I interact with you how true you live your core values. And I, I just think, I think it would be really valuable for listeners, whether it has to do with education or not, just kind of like what core values are and how did you come to find them for yourself? Well, in this style of coaching, we say that core values represent what's most important to you. And even though they can change over time, a lot of times the spirit of them stays pretty consistent for you know years, if not decades. And one of the easiest ways to come up with your core values is um, to work with a coach and identify them. And we do train our coaches, and I think all coach, most coaching programs train coaches to work with clients one-on-one -on -one or groups to identify them. Um, and then, it, you know, like everything else in the world, you could do an internet search and find, um, you know, different strategies to find your core values. And what I think is most important is once somebody understands what's most important to them, their core values, it really can serve as like an internal GPS. And when I set my GPS to those core values, then it's so much easier 
to show up how I want, not just default to the backswing. It's mm -hmm. so much easier to ask for what I need because these core values really are setting me like in a direction. Um, it's so much easier to partner with organizations or be part of an organization because I, I can tell right away, do my core values not agree? They don't have to be a one-to-one -one agreement, but do they align? Can the organization support who I am? Can I support the organization's core values? Um, and then they also, um, I always say like, you can feel it when somebody is, knows their core values and is living them, or there are some people who don't know their core values, but they're already living them. They just intuitively are yeah. like set to whatever lights them up and, and um, fulfills them. And so I think it's really important. Um, and it's almost like part of being like a global citizen to live your core values, because when you do it, it like radiates off of you and out of you, other people feel that you are living a life of fulfillment and it becomes contagious. So it has this ripple effect. And you can imagine in our homes, it has a ripple effect. In our schools, you can tell school leaders, school teachers, school personnel who are living their core values. It feel, you feel it, you wanna be around them versus the ones who are not living their core values or don't know them. Um, and they're not showing up living them. So it really has a ripple effect. My favorite organizations, this totally includes schools, are the ones that know what's most important to them. They set their GPS to them and then they are relentless and brave about living them. Because you can, I mean, look at my body right now. My hands are like clenched and open and excited. Like you feel it. And that's my favorite schools. My favorite schools, it's like everybody's on board. Not like perfect alignment. One of my core values is growth. I mean, although that one fits in education really well. One, another core value of mine is bravery. Not everyone has that core value. Um, and that's okay. As long as we can nurture each other's core values, they don't have to be a one-to-one -one match. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious. Um, I Thank you for that, Jen. And I think, you know, even just those examples of what core values can be of, you know, bravery and things like that. You know, for me, freedom is an important core value. And, um, you know, it's, and it just, you know, it's interesting how freedom before COVID was having a lot of time to myself. And now freedom is, man, I wish I could travel, <laughs> you know, so there's these different, it, it changes, but the core value is always there. And, and as the circumstances change, the core value, at least for me, kind of it's a little bit of my filter and it's a little bit of the ground that I'm the, the ground that I'm standing on and making sure uh, am I am I where I want to be in this environment in this circumstance or like you said is this not the right environment for me potentially um, and uh, there's Alexa telling me to drink water uh, but I, yeah yes I'm gonna drink as well <laughs> You can tell I'm a, a, a young podcast host. I haven't shut up Alexa. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the, um, the question I was thinking about, Jen, what would be what are, in what ways have you seen, you know, educators, because you train educators in school systems. You've trained educators in the, I know, Baltimore County school system, in the city as well, and other, not in the city. Mostly Anne Arundel, um, oh, Anne Arundel, Arundel County, Baltimore County. County. Okay. Yeah. And so you've trained teachers and I've met some of them, you know, in the training I did with you, but what have you found is the transformation or what is the result in terms of things improving at the school from looking at things like core values or saboteurs and things like that? Uh, oh gosh. Well, 
Yeah, I'm just, well, one thing I realized at the beginning of my coach training, and I was like in tears when I realized this, is learning the skills of a coach are not taught in any teacher prep program that I know. And I've been, I have two degrees in education, wasn't taught in either of those at really beautiful institutions. I also train teachers and it's not in any curriculum that we have and I have seen. And then I am privy to a lot of textbooks because textbook companies love to send professors of education free textbooks. They're not taught in any of those either. And so what I'm noticing is there's this rich set of skills that make educators even more impactful, better Mm -hmm. educators, better humans, better citizens of the planet that no one is really being taught until right now. Um, and I'm really proud. I work at a community college and we're making coach training affordable and accessible because usually it's a pretty expensive endeavor. Yeah. My entire training was $12,000. Whereas you can come to the community college and for about $1,200, you yeah. can get the same training. So I think there's a few things that are really important impact wise that more educators need access to these skills. And they really are skills like if you if I were to list them on like sheets of paper it's like about two and a half pages of skills and Michael you've seen them because you've been trained in this model and even though it's just two and a half pages you've got to learn them experientially it's nothing you can read it's nothing you can get powerpointed on it's like let's show you how to do a skill and use a skill now go off and practice that skill let's come back and debrief it really is true experiential learning um, my background is in outdoor and adventure ed which is also true experiential learning and i find that for coaches and learning these skills that's the best way to go as far as learning I and mean, you can't really read about them in the book there's no you can read as many theories as you want about coaching and philosophies or even studies and it's really a hands-on activity. The impact though, I'm like blown away. I always thought, and again, I was in tears when I realized this, this set of skills would like amplify any educator in any classroom. And what I'm noticing now is I am not alone in that. I get so many emails um, for people who've been trained as coaches saying, I cannot believe these skills. I cannot believe I've been teaching five years, 10 years, 20, 30, and I'm just learning them. This has completely changed who I am. And I'm like, I know. And what's funny is I recently got an email like that. And it was CC'd to somebody high up in a a school district and me. And the person who was CC'd reached out and said, oh my gosh, like, can you believe this? And I had to say, welcome to my world in a good way. I get these emails weekly from educators saying what a difference having coaching skills makes to their students to the other colleagues in their buildings, to their school district, to their families, to their communities. And you know, I'm, and, it, and I wasn't trying to be arrogant, I was just trying to say, yes, like this is the ripple effect. Um, the other thing I'm noticing, especially for educators who've been in it for probably 10 years or more, they are saying this was like the renewal I needed. And I really feel like being trained as a coach um, for educators who've been in it um, a bit, it's just that like refresh that they need, that reset to keep going um, versus leaving the field um, 
So the impact is just huge. Then we've got a bunch of educators, of course, who are working one-on-one -on -one with students or in small groups um, who are then using the skills with students. And uh, I have a great story of an educator in Baltimore County who did a saboteur activity with a group of 10th graders. And the next day, one of her 10th graders came back and said, I did the activities with my mom and a sibling at home. Wow. And then shared sort of the results of what the, her family came away with. And that's the beautiful thing. It's like, you don't even need to be trained as a coach to realize like these skills have impact. Here's another story. Again, at a high school, a couple of our coaches went in and did a uh, group coaching like series, three, three sessions with a group of high school students. They then returned a few months later to do the series with a new group. And as a um, student from one of the prior groups was walking by the classroom and noticed what was going on, he walked in and said, you guys, you're gonna love this. This is gonna change your life. <laughs> And then just kept going down the hall. So it's just like, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. It's a set of skills, again, two and a half pages of type text, you know, right. that if we can really teach and then share with others, people get the, the ripple effects. So to me, it's like, why are we not doing this? Why is it not baked in to all teacher ed programs? Why are we not, you know, offering this to our parents? Why are we not doing more of this in our businesses? Why are our leaders not trained in this? To me, this is becoming like foundational way to show up in the world. Oh my gosh, you guys have me all. I'm going to have to have a sip I love of water. It. Tell I love it. I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I think, again, your, your passion and enthusiasm this is, is so uh, infectious. And I think one of the things that I, I always think about when I'm hearing these skills too, and as you're talking about the impact they have, um, and I know that just the impact they could have on the students themselves, not just 10th graders, but I'm thinking kindergartners who could learn these types of skills all the way up through, you know, K through 12 plus, you know, I really think that they have a strong impact. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and where, you, and, and, and also just kind of some of those specific skills that you talked about, if you could give examples and name some of those skills that you think would be most impactful, obviously it's two and a half pages and they're all impactful, but ones that you've seen just time and time again, that you know, like if I could teach this to every student, to every teacher, to every parent, Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're onto something, Josh. These are skills that don't need to wait till like you're a college student in a teacher prep program, right? If we were to back up and start in pre-K or, you know, earlier. And by the way, Montessori education tries to start teaching a few of these skills. Maria Montessori didn't use the word coaching, but a lot of what she wrote about and what, what she thought kids needed, grace and civility wise, fit into this. And if we were to start teaching this earlier, by the time our kids are adults, right, they don't even, coaching is just baked into who they are. Um, I have a teen daughter right now. She's been exposed to coaching, oh my gosh, for eight years at least. And it's fascinating because she'll ask me a question. One of our skills in coaching is to ask powerful questions. Here's a little tip. Most powerful questions start with the word what. Okay, so instead of like, why didn't you take the garbage out? It's like, what kept you from taking the garbage out? See the difference? One feels accusatory, one feels more curious. So anyway, she'll sometimes ask me a question and I'm like, mm -mm, please make that a powerful question. <laughs> and then she'll just <laughs> rephrase it because it, it, instead it takes judgment away and it adds in curiosity. The other thing that I notice when kids start learning these skills, and again, I'll use my teen daughter as an example. We were talking about something the other day and um, she said, you know, mom, it's not a saboteur here. Instead, and then she filled in the blank. And I love that she was like able to decipher, is this a voice that's trying to keep me back 
or is this just an emotion that I need to like give some attention to? And so I just, I didn't have to like clue her in. I didn't have to bring it up. She already had the vocabulary and the language to say that for herself. Wouldn't that be awesome if a kindergartner could start like hearing the voices inside them, the ones that cheer them on the sages, the ones that hold them back, the saboteurs and go, you know what voice? I can do math. The voice that says you can't do that. You know, the opposing sage voice is like, oh yes, watch me. So I think you're absolutely right, let's do that. Now, talking about skills, I just mentioned one of the skills. Coaches in our program are trained to ask really beautiful, powerful questions. They are all about being curious and not about being judgmental. The majority of them start with the word what. So right away, anybody listening, when you ask a question, start with what and make it really open-ended as short as possible as well. Another skill we teach coaches is we call it curious um, levels of listening. A lot of times when people are in conversations, they are listening to reply. So like we hear what people are saying, but we're already formulating how we're gonna reply back. And in this style of coaching, it's not about what are you gonna respond back? It's really about listening to understand, to engage, to really hear what somebody is saying. Um, another skill we teach is to listen to that inner wisdom, um, our intuition, which sometimes people think is a little woo-woo, and we all have it. A lot of people feel their intuition in their heart space or in their gut. In fact, sometimes people say, I have this gut instinct. Um, we teach our coaches how to really listen to that. And by the way, I just wanted to decipher um, between intuition versus fright or flight or fear or something else. Sometimes, sadly, especially lately in the news, we hear about um, the police and some type of brutality that's happening at the hands of a police officer. And they say, well, my intuition told me to shoot this person or intuition. That's not the same because the majority of the time, our intuition is very calm and peaceful, even in the most hectic, chaotic of situations. That is an instinct of fright or flight. That's a little different, and sometimes an instinct of judgment or racism or something else. But I just want to like tease that out because I don't want people going around saying, my intuition said. <laughs> our, our intuition is calm. Our intuition is wise. Our intuition is peaceful. Our intuition sees the good. And so we do teach our coaches how to hear that, that wisdom within us. Um, and what else? I'd say those are some of the skills. I mean, again, two and a half pages um, right. and very doable, very doable to learn. Yeah, I, as you're sharing the skills, I'm, I'm remembering, you know, they are powerful, but also how helpful and important it is to develop as a coach myself. You know, I can understand that or as a person, you can understand that. But when the opportunity arises to work with the coach or be trained or to have someone help, it's, it's hard to see, it's hard to apply those because we're kind of, I think, blind a little bit. We're very familiar with ourselves, you know? And so I, I can just remember being in training and, and you, Jen, walking by as I'm practicing coaching someone and saying, Michael, wait, rephrase that as a powerful question. And, and, you know, and when I think about, you know, hosting a podcast, it's powerful question. So thank you for that skill. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of curious, we, we've gotten into a lot of content about coaching and information about coaching, but I'd like to talk about you a little bit. And I just think, <laughs> I just, you, you, you and your work. Um, I just think you have such an amazing, um, as, as we called it, I think, in our pre-interview origin story, but just kind of from the perspective of your journey through education and your journey to coaching, if you could just share a little bit about that with the audience, because I think there's a lot 
of insight within your story for our listeners. Mm, okay. I'll try to bottom line it since I just turned <laughs> 50, 50 this year. We don't need decade by decade. <laughs> pretty much the bottom line is as a child, I loved playing school and I loved being the student and the teacher. Mm. And then as I became a teenager and was looking at what to major in, um, most of my family and just assorted others sort of said, you don't want to be a teacher, right? It doesn't pay enough. And so um, as a teen, I was influential or highly influenced and decided, well, gosh, I don't want to be a teacher. That doesn't pay well. And so off I went and became a communications major and um, made my family very happy when I graduated from Michigan State and moved to a ski town and became a ski bum because <laughs> And this is such a great example. That's what you do when you're not living your core values, right? You let the wind blow you. You let your family blow you to places um, without saying, no, this is really important to me and sort of like standing firmly in that internal GPS. So when I was living in Aspen, Colorado, which is a lovely experience and I'm so glad I did. I mean, all of these, you know, I can find the silver lining in most situations. Mm. By the way, that's another coaching skill. We call it the 2% truth. What is the 2% like that is true? That is a gift. That's even sometimes the silver lining. And in this case, there was a lot of 2% truth. So when I lived in Aspen, what I realized is it was lovely and great. And I wasn't fulfilled 100%. Again, not living those core values. At the time, I didn't even know the term core values. So what I did realize is that I really do want to be a teacher. And so I went off to University of Colorado and got my teaching degree as a graduate student. And um, again, not knowing core values, but knowing there was something like in me to be brave and to grow, I then got a job right as the internet was coming out, by the way, like coming out, like literally. Um, I remember looking for jobs on the internet, which no one had really used for job <laughs> searching at that time. And uh, I found this really techie uh, school district on the Navajo Nation in the northern part of the Navajo Nation. And um, I reached out to them and ended up landing a job there. And um, again, not, not knowing core values, but knowing I love the outdoors. I love to be in new places with new people. I love possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and so I moved there sight unseen and it was such a beautiful experience to live on the Navajo Nation. My students were fantastic. The community was fantastic. The solitude of the Navajo Nation was fantastic. And um, I did that for a couple of years until I always had wanted to live in South America. Again, my core values just felt like that's the pull. And so I ended up getting a job in Ecuador at a um, American school. And by American school, it's Ecuadorian based, but they follow an American curriculum. And so all the students in the school were bilingual. They, half their classes were in English and half their classes were in Spanish. And I taught on the English side of the school so that the students could truly be bilingual all through K through 12. And I did that for a year. Um, and then I moved back to the US and I did that mostly because I missed my family and I really wanted to just kind of keep growing. And I didn't exactly know how. That's when I landed the job at the community college. Now I haven't mentioned all through this, probably from Aspen on, I've been involved in outdoor and adventure ed. It was like my love of the outdoors uh -huh. and that bravery um, core value plus wanting to be a teacher. It was like, that's how I blended them. Um, and so I kept doing that as almost a side job. Even when I moved to Maryland, I worked for, we have an outward bound post in Baltimore and I worked for them for a little while, oh, wow. uh, which was really cool. And um, 
Then I've just been doing classroom teaching all the way out of community college um, up until now. And then around 2012, so about eight years ago, a fellow educator from Ecuador reached out and said she was training to be a life coach. She needs to practice. She wanted to practice on people. She was taking volunteers. And I thought that is the stupidest job I've ever heard. Like who even studies that? That's even a career, a life coach. Oh, it's so arrogant. It's so ridiculous. And I thought, I feel bad for her. Her name is Sue. And I was like, I feel bad for Sue. No one is going to volunteer. So I will volunteer because she needs someone to practice on. And after 30 minutes of being on a coaching call with Sue, I hung up. I said to my husband, who's very rational, he's an engineer. And I said, hey, that changed my life in 30 minutes. And he is a lovely human. And he said, well, why don't you hire her? And so I did. I hired Sue and um, coached with her for over a year, saw so many leaps and bounds in my personal and professional life that after a year, I said to her, Sue, if I had your skills as a K through 12 educator, my students wouldn't know what hit them. I think I'm a pretty good teacher now, but I would be like, amazing. And so she said the magic sentence, go get trained as a coach. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a coach. I already have a job. I already have a, a degree, several of them. And she's like, no, just go get the skills. Just get the skills and use them. And so that's what I did. And the rest is kind of history um, because the, the training was so transformative. And I could see the impact on my students literally within 24 hours of taking my first class that it became an easy sell to the college. I said, the, if we had more people who had coaching skills on this campus, we would have greater impact on our students' life. And so here we are now. That was 2013 when I pitched the idea to the college. We are now in 2020. We have an accredited program. We've trained um, Gosh, I think we're on our 12th community or tribes of coaches. Like we're, we're like making headway here. Yeah. It's really exciting. I think um, your origin story, as we we're saying, is just, it's so wonderful because like you said, that voice inside of you was calling you to education this entire time. And for external reasons, you were kind of pushing it aside. And I'm so curious because not everybody has those experiences of teaching on the Navajo Nation, of teaching in Ecuador. And so we, you kind of glossed over those a little bit. I'm wondering if we can just go back to those and kind of pull out some stories from those experiences and kind of hear some of those um, moments that kind of, I know you said that now you look back and you think about the skills that you had and how it could impact it, but what were those stories like then and what was the impact of those experiences on you and your students and just life in general, I guess? Well, it's interesting back in those days, right? That's prior to me getting coaching and being trained as a coach. I just want to say thank you students for being so open to me. I was just young Jen trying to do the best she could. And thankfully what I could do back then, um, I think was helpful. What I can do now, I think far blows it out of the water. You know, I think I've always thought as an educator that I am really a like a purveyor of possibility. And even though I used to teach English and language arts and technology classes in middle and high schools and then adventure ed throughout, um, and I've oftentimes work with students who are non-native speakers first. They're usually English speakers as their second language. I just always have thought that my role is to just 
ask the question what's possible and then move as much out of the way for students so whatever is possible in their minds and their dreams could actually become a reality so I think for me, I was thinking back to my time on the Navajo Nation. You know, a lot of times people don't understand what it's like to work on a reservation. And a lot of people especially don't know the Navajo Nation. It is the size of West Virginia. It has no casinos. It is dry. You can't buy a stitch of alcohol on the reservation. It is gorgeous. It like neighbors the Grand Canyon as far as beauty wow. goes. Like that's, that's how un incredible it is. Um, it's got a rich history, as you can expect. And it's one of the few groups, few nations, few um, tribes, although they don't use the word tribe, they use the word nation, that's on their original land. So a lot of indigenous groups have been moved off their land and now are on new land, not the Navajos. They are on their original land, which is really cool. So it's already a magical, awesome place. And I felt my role there is just to be the purveyor of possibility mm. and just to like get stuff moved out so that my students, in this case, they were high school students, could actually live the dreams and life that they wanted to live. Um, we had more students there that got three or more on the AP exam that I had seen when I was teaching in Colorado, more students there that got scholarships to really cool institutions. Um, I headed up a gifted and talented program there and we really realized that a lot of times because the Navajo Nation is very rural that a lot of our students didn't have a lot of like worldly or urban experiences so we made sure that all the students who were identified as gifted and talented um, had experiences so that when they went off to college or went off into the workplace they too could say yeah I went and saw Swan Lake the ballet and I went to the Shakespeare play and I've been to Santa Fe and seen every cool museum there and I've been and I've done um, because a lot of times when you leave the Navajo Nation if you've only spent time on there you don't have those experiences and we really didn't want we wanted purveyors of possibility that our students would have those experiences. The other thing is I love being there because the students were just so humble and they were so um, welcoming. Uh, there were not many white Jewish 20-year-old teachers there. Um, and there I was. And I just felt so welcome. I felt like um, I had something to, to bring and add to the community. And I just felt like the community had so much to share and to teach me. And so that was just a beautiful experience. And then when I lived in Ecuador, Ecuador was like polar opposites. I worked at a school, as I told you, it's called um, Colegio Americano. It's a beautiful school. It services pre-K all the way through through 12th grade. It's got a really cool bilingual system, like I told you. And the students there tend to be super wealthy because it's a private school in the South American country. And so in that way, it was polar opposite than my Navajo students that lived more of a simple life, that lived more, um, more like close to the land, more attached to the outdoors, um, where these students felt, it felt a lot more urban to me. Um, but what I appreciate there is, again, I could be the purveyor of possibilities. Um, and they had different resources that allowed them to access possibilities sometimes all over the world. For example, I was taking salsa dance, salsa dancing lessons um, at a nearby, uh, I think it was an embassy. And um, believe it or not, it was the French embassy. I guess this salsa dancing teacher must have rented space for them. And I ran into one of my students there, an eighth grader, oh. and she was taking French lessons. And I said, oh gosh, you speak French? 
She's like, yeah, I speak Spanish, English, French, and Italian. I was like, of course you do, because you're a woman <laughs> in the world. Um, and so for, for those students, being a purveyor of possibilities was a little bit different. Those students had a few more, almost financial resources to, to go see the world in a different way. Um, and now that I'm a coach, I feel a bit like a purveyor of possibilities. In fact, the other day I signed an email, like from Jen, purveyor of possibilities, smiley face. <laughs> because I do feel like that is kind of my role is to move junk out of the way, quiet those voices so that people can live the life they want, right? If more people live the life they want, we'd have a much happier planet. Yeah. Hmm, that's a long answer, but thanks for asking. Thank you, Jen. No, that that's yeah. wonderful. I I um I learned a lot <laughs> and you know, I love how your, 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 uh, your ideas in there were great and you were answering the questions that were coming into my head. So we must have that intuitive uh, connection there. Right. Um, so as we're, you know, we were getting to the end of our time here, this interview went super fast. I had a lot mm -hmm. of fun. What, um, and I want to leave a minute too, if Josh has a question, but what, what would you say is um, something in particular that you are most optimistic about seeing grow in the field of education? Well, part of me is thinking, wow, if I were to like, one of our coaching skills is called MetaView. If I were to fly up over this interview right now and look down at all the points, yeah. I think a lot of the things that we spoke about, I think is what I would want to see in education. And I'm optimistic that that is where education will go. So for example, I want more coaching embedded, both for students, the faculty and staff, for their parents, because it's just going to have ripple effects in that school and in the community. Um, I also want more of that purveyor of possibility spirit for all, all of the stakeholders that I just mentioned, yeah. students, faculty and staff and parents, I want, I want to just move stuff out of the way so that people can live their best lives. And then to live your best life, you got to know what it is that like lights you up. I want everyone to know those core values and know saboteurs and sages so they can tame those saboteur voices and turn up the sage voice. So to me, like the, the best schools that we're going to see right now can do all of that because it will allow them to be nimble, right? If you're a purveyor of possibility, it doesn't matter if you're in a pandemic or post-pandemic, mm -hmm. you're going to see possibilities. And if you've got coaching skills, then you can be in all different situations, even the hard ones, and persevere and be tenacious and resilient. And then if you know what's most important to you, then you don't have to let the wind blow you, your family make decisions for you. You get to like stand and say, you know what, what's most important to me, my GPS points me in this direction. So I think those three things are what I would just like dream about happening and not even dream. I think, I think our best schools and our most innovative schools are gonna start incorporating that. Yeah. I, love, I love all of those ideas and all of those <clears throat> possibilities as you say, because I think really now as we're forced to examine where we are and what needs to change both to cope and survive this moment as well as to be able to innovate and get to the next level you know michael and i are always talking about how do we reimagine and rethink education for the students and for the experiences that we want our students to have um, and so i think that having those skills embedding those skills allowing us to be nimble like you talked about earlier and allowing us to get the junk out of the out of our way that's blocking us from being able to be optimistic in these moments and and to see possibilities i've talked with many educators who 
are feeling stuck, who are feeling overwhelmed, who are just trying to figure out how do I take what I knew and move it online instead of how do I get to the next level for myself? Might when I call it leveling up as a teacher, you know, how do we get to that higher position as ourselves to be able to give a better experience for our students? And so uh, this has just been really a, a wonderful experience, just your energy, your excitement, your ideas. Um, I, we appreciate you sharing them. Uh, we're excited for where we can continue to go and what will look, what education will continue to grow into and to look like. And I just would love to just leave with just leaving you an open-ended question. We've talked about specific things that we're curious about. What would you like to just share that you haven't shared perhaps yet or that you are thinking or, or another way to put it? What optimism would you like to amplify as we finish here? Mm, I just want... Um... I think right now, more than ever, people are going to need to just be courageous and brave. And um, I guess my, my optimism stands on bravery and courage. You know, it, it's so easy to default to what we've done before, what we've done in the past, um, both for ourselves and for our schools and society. And so now more than ever, it's, we need to hear that voice that says, what else is possible? What else is possible? How can we iterate? How can we make this better? So I want more people to just sort of lean into that. I think um, bravery um, and creativity are going to be the best friend of optimism as we're coming out of a pandemic and just really into what the cool, awesome future is going to be. Very good. I love it. Purveyor of possibility, Jen Laura. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. I love the work that you guys are doing. I love what you are thinking. You guys are thought leaders in this. It's beautiful. As are you. Yes, indeed. How do people take your course? How do people get in touch with you? How do people learn more from you, Jen? Yeah. So if you have any show notes when your podcast goes live, if you'll just include Jen Laura, uh, you can include my aacc.edu email address, which is J for Jen, G for my middle name, and then Laura. So J, G as in girl, Laura, L-A-R-A at aacc.edu. I'd love to answer any emails people have. Connect them with our program. Our program is now in person post-pandemic, and then also um, platform-based. So you can be anywhere in the world right now. We can train you to be a coach, and Michael can speak to it. It's, it's life-changing. It's experiential and hands-on. The time flies when we're together, and uh, it just creates so much like value and impact. So please join me. All righty. All right. Bye, you guys. Thanks so much Thanks. for having me. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh -huh. Take Thanks. care. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that Jen gave you some food for thought about how to pivot within the education field and still have a huge impact, how to bring coaching techniques to your teaching practice, or how to ask powerful questions to create curiosity and possibility. You can learn more about Jen and the awesome things she does at jenlara.com. For more information on the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast, visit our website, www.amplifyingoptimism.com. Join us next week where we explore how to raise creative thinkers with our guest, Michelle Korenfeld, who joined us from Tel Aviv, Israel, to share with us her story and her work. Keep on amplifying optimism in education and beyond.